0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. A couple of announcements before uh, before we start. I want to teach you guys a new word in Ukrainian. Can you say privyet? privyet. We've got some special guests from Ukraine, so let's tell them privyet. Privyet. Would you guys stand? This is Pavel and Luba Marchuk, Pavel's brother Victor and Nikolai Manzuk. And we praise God for these are some of the pastors for our sister churches in Ukraine. We're grateful that you are with us. Thank you for being here with us. And also want to let you know, mark it on your calendar, kind of circle it, September 19th, that's a Thursday night at 6.30. We have got the great blessing of having David Platt join us. We're really grateful for that, excited to have David Platt come. He's going to be speaking to area pastors here. If you've got a friend that's pastor of another church, we are sending out invites. We would love for them to join pastors here that afternoon 6:30 that night he'll be with us, and then he'll be speaking to students at UMHB that night at about nine o'clock. So that's September 19th. We're going to be in Genesis 13. That's where we are today. On a week that we are all uh, pretty tired—tired tired physically, tired emotionally. I thought I was a little bit tired this morning, but I wasn't quite sure how much. And I, I know you're tired. Thank you for showing up. Laura said it was a long day. How many people you think will be here? I said about 12, you know. <laughs> I drove through Starbucks this morning, and I've got this drink um, that I really like when I'm tired. It has two espresso shots. Went to get my drink. I, um, I would love it if it were called a Thor, um, but it's not. It's a tall, skinny caramel macchiato with an extra shot. <laughs> And I get to church and I'm sitting in my office and, you know, getting ready for the morning and I think something, like something's missing. Something's missing and I realized that I had paid for my drink and just drove off without it. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe I'm a little tired, which, which means now I want a nap so we won't be here long, right? Okay. But we're in Genesis chapter 13. We're in week three of this series, Abram, father of the faithful. And what we're going to talk about, I'm going the wrong way here. See, I am tired. Um. Oh, yep. Am I going the wrong way still? I am. Goodness. I have messed you guys up back there. That's all my fault. We're in Genesis chapter 13. In Genesis chapter 12... Ten, Abram was not raising a hallelujah. He was nervous. He was afraid. He began to not trust the promise of God. That's what we talked about last week, that the week before, God had promised Abram, I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then Abram doesn't trust him. He goes into Egypt. He says to his wife, hey, tell these people you're my sister so they won't kill me. You can live. They won't kill me. She gets taken into Pharaoh's harem. It's this awful thing. And then Abram comes out of Egypt in spite of himself because plagues come on Pharaoh and he fears the God of Abram, not because Abram has done great things, but because God is committed to his purpose and he's committed to his promise. And Abram comes out of Egypt really really wealthy and it's going to be a blessing to him but what God means for blessing the enemy means for burden and this blessing is going to become a burden the scripture tells us in Genesis 12 16 when Abram came out of Egypt he came out with sheep and oxen it says there were male donkeys and female donkeys and male servants and female servants and camels he is rich these female donkeys, more expensive than male donkeys because they were easier to ride. The camels were the luxurious ride of the rich. Now, Pharaoh could have killed them for lying to him, for these plates coming on his house, but he feared God. And so he told his people, send them out with all that they have. And so there's this caravan that's leaving Egypt. It's Abram, it's Sarai, and it's his nephew, Lot. So Abram went up from Egypt and he and his wife and all that he had and Lot went with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. Abram was rich in livestock, silver, and gold. The Hebrew word here for rich actually means heavy. It's the Hebrew word kabed. Can you say kabed with me? Kabed, kabed. we all now speak Hebrew. You can put that in your Facebook profile. I speak Hebrew. It's the word heavy. It's not just here that Abram was heavy with livestock. In Genesis twelve ten, when the famine had come that we looked at last week, and it says the famine was severe, it's the Hebrew word kabed. The famine was heavy. So they go into Egypt, and the famine's heavy, and they come out of Egypt, and their wealth is heavy. And when I thought about that word Tuesday morning when I sat down, to read, I thought, man, what an appropriate word because we, this week, are heavy with grief. But we're also heavy with hope. So our God is a faithful God. See, Abram leaves and he leaves with all he has. He leaves with all he has. And and that includes donkeys and camels, male servants, female servants. When I first thought about this, I thought, abram got a Tim Cartwright deal and I don't know if you know Tim Cartwright is the king of deals He gets deals like you wouldn't believe He will call me in the spring when he's preparing to take a team to Rwanda and Go, Hey, man, I got this great deal on these plane tickets And what are you, what are you talking about? Well, it's 12 plane tickets from Austin to Rwanda. It was $47 I mean, it's it's it is ridiculous It's amazing. I was thinking if Tim, you know, he didn't grow up as in in the woods like I did. He's in Philadelphia. Can you imagine if here with Abram and he's looking at these camels, his livestock, and he goes, this is amazing. I never had all this livestock in Philadelphia. These cows, they got these things on them. You pull the milk just comes straight out for free. It's amazing. <laughs> Tim was not with Abram, right? But he leaves rich with livestock, rich with silver, rich with gold, and with male servants and female servants. See, Abram, when he left Egypt, he might have thought I'm getting out of here safely, everything's going to be okay, but one of those female servants is named Hagar, and her son Ishmael is going to bring bring strife on the people of God for generations to come. And that's a good moment just to pause, because sometimes we think you know what, this, this little sin, this little thing that I'm doing, not trusting God, whatever that might be, whether it's something I should be doing that I'm not or something I shouldn't be doing that I am or thoughts that I'm having and I think these aren't really a big deal. Let me just tell you, Hagar is gonna be a really big deal for generations to come. So we gotta guard ourselves. Abram not trusting God is going to cost his family down the road. So Abram turns back, the promise. In verse 3 it says, he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. And we learned two weeks ago that Bethel means house of God. And that's the first place it's recorded that Abram worshipped. It's between Bethel and Ai, verse 4, to the place where he had made an altar at the first And Abram called upon the name of the Lord. He began to cry out to God, to pray to God again. He called on the name of the Lord in this moment of renewal and repentance and turning back toward the promise. But still, there's a problem. It's a good problem to have, but it's a problem. Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. See, in Genesis chapter 12, the Canaanites were there, and now the land, there's overcrowding. It's the Canaanites and the Perizzites, but it's, there's still lots and lots of land. And Lot and Abram, they are so wealthy together. That the land can't hold them. They've got too much livestock and not enough land. I've never had that problem. Can you imagine? I got so many cows. I got so much. I don't know what to do with it. So they're going to separate even in this open range. And listen, Abram is the authority. He's older. He's going to be wealthier. And he is the leader of this journey. Lot is his nephew. So Abram can do lots of things here. In this moment of strife between their herdsmen, he can say, Lot, I'm picking the land I want. I'll give you the other land. I'm going to take what I want. You're going to go where I tell you. He could have said, Lot, just go back home. Just go back home. Take all your stuff so that I can have this land. But that's not what Abram does. That's not what Abram does. Instead, Abram says to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen, we're brothers. It's not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, I will go to the left. Lot, you just take what you want. You take what you want. And I'll take what you don't want. Now, this is an amazing display of trust considering Just prior to this, Abram has not trusted God as he's gone into Egypt, but he has seen God provide in spite of himself, and he's learning that God is the provider. He's gonna learn it more and more and more as we study the book of Genesis. And so he just says, Lot, you pick what you want. You pick what you want, and I'll take what's left. He's confident God is going to give him this land of promise, and so the Bible says that Lot... Lifted up his eyes, verse 10. He saw that the Brazos Valley was well watered everywhere. He saw the Jordan Valley, I'm sorry, was well watered everywhere. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked. They were great sinners against the Lord. Lot lifted up his eyes. He lifted up his eyes and he saw that it was great. It looked beautiful. There's this green valley. It's well watered. There's going to be food, grass for his livestock. It's like the garden of the Lord. It's like Egypt. And I just wonder if the writer of Genesis would evoke in our minds, this garden of the Lord was a beautiful place, but if you weren't careful, there was curse there. See, Egypt had the Nile River, so there would always be water. There would always be grain, but that would be the place the children of Israel would walk into slavery for 430 years. And what looks great is not always great. The green grass is not always greener. See, Abram chooses surrender over self. He chooses community over conflict. And Lot lifts up his eyes and he does the exact opposite of what the scripture would call us to. Philippians 2 says that in Christ, here's what we ought to look like. He says, look out not for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. Consider others more important than yourself. And Lot does the exact opposite. He considers himself more important than others. He looks out for his own interest and not for the interest of others. And Abram, Abram says you pick what you want and Lot does. In short, Lot, he's just learning to love himself. He's just learning to love himself. I don't know if you've heard that phrase a lot lately, but I keep hearing this phrase. You need to learn to love yourself. I just need to learn to love myself. And we hear these things in the world, well this person just, you need to learn to love yourself. And sometimes you hear it in the church even, well you can't love others if you don't love yourself. And so when we hear statements like that, they sound great, but when we hear a statement like that, here's what we have gotta do with a statement like that. We've gotta take that statement and we've gotta hold it up next to scripture we got to look at what does Jesus say about this? What does Paul say about this? What does the Bible say about this? And if it matches, then great. We just keep saying that. If it doesn't match, use different words, right? So what does the Bible say about having to learn to love ourselves? I'm really glad you asked. I'm going to tell you what it says. See, Jesus, when he says... When he's asked about the greatest commandment, he says that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. He's not saying there, learn to love yourself so you can learn love your neighbor. He just assumes we love ourselves. He just assumes we love ourselves. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. I know you're gonna love yourself well, so love your neighbor well. Paul, when he is telling husbands how to love their wives, He says that we're to nourish them and care for them like our own bodies. I'm going to chase just a quick rabbit here in Ephesians. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Listen, We're all making straight A's in the school of loving ourselves. We got a PhD, right? Is there anybody who doesn't love themselves? Well, yeah, it says he who loves his wife loves himself. If you're not loving your wife, man, then you're not loving yourself. You're going to bring destruction on you and your family. I think about my Laura and who she is to me. Somebody asked me one time, what would you do if somebody did anything to your wife? And I just said, I'd open up a prison ministry real, real fast. <laughs> See, man, that, that's the one exception. If you're not loving your wife, you're not loving yourself. But we all love ourselves. We all love ourselves. And here's the thing, we think loving ourselves is a good thing, but when the scripture speaks about it, there's one more verse, it doesn't speak about it very well. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 2, he says there will come a time near the end when people do this and this and this, and it describes their wickedness, and he says there'll be lovers of selves and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. See, Lot... He's just loving himself. So does does God want us to care for ourselves, make sure that we're in the word, that we're walking with him, that we are flourishing in Christ? Yes. But hear me, we all love ourselves and Lot loved himself. He loved himself. He looked as he lifted up his eyes and he thought, this is gonna be great. I'll take it. I'll take the Jordan Valley. And Abram, Just gives it to him. God has promised him this land, but Lot went east. And it says when he went east, he went before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and he saw all this was beautiful, but then we're told the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So he's gonna go into a land of wickedness and it's gonna be a difficult time for him. And as we continue in Genesis, we're gonna see we're going to see that Sodom and Gomorrah are dark and evil places, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that because that's what we do as a church. We're compassionate, we're kind, we're gentle, we're loving, and we tell the truth as God speaks the truth. See, when we deal with the sin of Sodom in a few weeks, here's one of the things that That we've got to understand, the church tends to handle this one way or the other and it can be really, really harsh or really, really light. But here's something that one of my favorite theologians said a couple of weeks ago. His name is Danny Cunningham, you may have heard of him. He says, I want to resist the urge to not be shocked by the fall of humanity and how evil it is according to scripture. I want to resist the urge to not be shocked by the fall of humanity and how evil it is according to scripture. Sin should shock us. Here's what happens with cultural sins. We do one of two things. We look at cultural sins and we just go, you know, that's kind of the way culture's headed and that's the way things are going to be. And we just got to figure out how to be okay with that some way. Or we look at those cultural sins and we think these are really the only things the church ought to talk about. These aren't things I struggle with. So let's talk about these things I don't struggle with and I'll just shovel them on somebody else. And I, you know, it's really, really rare. It's really rare that a man walks up to me and goes, Chase, would you and Dave and Tim, would you guys please preach on lust and greed and pride because I really struggle with those sins. And I want to fight those sins in my own heart. I want to resist the urge to be shocked by the fall of humanity and how evil it is according to scripture. And I want to start with me. I want to look at the evil in my own heart. The when the men of Sodom were wicked and great sinners against the Lord. I just keep waiting for it to go, and Chase Bowers was like those guys. Because I know the sin in my own heart. And I want to resist the urge to be shocked or to not be shocked, rather, by my own sin. See, Lot lifts up his eyes and he's headed toward a place that seems beautiful, but it's not. But then, look at Abram. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are to the north and the south and the east and the west. As far as you can see, Abram, for all the land you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever." I'll make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So if anyone can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can be counted. He tells him later as the sand of the seashore or as the stars in the sky, God keeps coming back to his commitment to his purpose, his commitment to his promise that his presence is going to be with Abram, that Abram is going to be empowered by God and God's gonna grow up this great people that are his through whom a Messiah will come that will save the whole world. Look, Abram, so when you lift up your eyes, are you lifting up your eyes to see what the world has to offer? Are you listening like God told Abram? And he said, lift up your eyes and look at what I'm gonna show you. Look at what I am going to show you. He told Abram to lift up his eyes. His promise is still going to stand. And so Abram is going to settle in this land of promise. He's going to settle into his mission But listen, Abram's not doing this because he's some amazing guy. He's doing this because God is an amazing God. As we read the story of Abram, we'll find out that he's as fickle as anybody in this room other than me. Some days he's a man of great faith and some days his faith is weak, but the God he has faith in is always beautiful and wonderful and lovely. Abram wasn't kept in grace because of faith. Abram walked in faith because God kept him in his grace, because God's purpose and God's promise and God's power are going to guide the course of human history. And here is good news. All the promises of God for us are yes in Christ Jesus. All the promises of God for us are yes in Christ Jesus. So can you imagine, verse 17, he tells Abram, Arise and walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. I want you to walk through the length and the breadth of this. I want you to see all of this I'm giving to you. This is this promised land. I want you to look at it and be amazed by it. Now, we don't live in Canaan, but the scripture says All the promises of God for us are yes in Christ Jesus. And so I wonder if maybe the word for us today would be walk through the length and the breadth of this. Walk through the length and the breadth of this and see all these promises for you that are yes. I'm saying yes to these promises for you in Christ Jesus. See, if we don't walk through the length and the breadth of this, we won't know the promises of God for us and the promises of God for us are amazing. Not just will we not know his promises, but we might forget his purposes. We hear people say, we say all the time, I really want to know what God's will is for my life. Listen, if you want to know God's will, not just for your life, but for all of his people, walk through the length and the breadth of this. His will is that we would love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, that we would love our neighbor as ourself. His will is that we would make disciples of all nations, and by his grace, church, we're going to continue to make disciples of all nations. His will is that we would love one another and serve one another and bear with one another and forgive one another and pray for one another and care for the needs of one another that we do all things without grumbling or complaining, that we might shine like stars in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. His will is that we would abstain from sexual immorality and live holy lives. The Bible says this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. But see, if we don't walk through the length and the breadth of this, we won't know it. And there are some amazing things that you can hear in the world and sometimes even in the church that just don't line up with what this book says. See, if we don't walk through the length and the breadth of this, we won't know his promises and we won't know his purposes. And then we won't know that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us who believe. Believe. And see, when we're not walking through the length and the breadth of this, we're, we're missing an opportunity. This is not, oh, goodness, Chase wants us to read our Bible. <laughs> We've got the opportunity to live daily in the presence of the God who made the stars and called them by name. And we don't want to miss. It's not that I want you to check off a list or that anybody else in our leadership does it's that we don't want you to miss the opportunity to be in God's presence because you are, if you're in Christ, we are God's people. And we want to find out what it looks like to be the people of God. Well, you find that out by walking through the length and the breadth of this. Abram walks through the length and the breadth of this land and he settles into mission. And then the last verse in Genesis 13 it tells us that Abram settles in this land. Verse 18, he moves his tent and he came and settled by the Oaks of Mamre. He, again, everywhere Abram settles, <clears throat> the Oaks of Mamre, that's a place where people worship false gods. So everywhere around them, people are not worshiping the living God. And Abram built an altar. He keeps building these altars to surrender, to sacrifice to the Lord, leading up to this one altar on Mount Moriah. Where he and his son are going to see God provide like they've never seen before. It's a mountain nobody would want to walk up, but in walking up that mountain, he is going to see the provision of God. So, what do we do? What do we do with Abram? Do we look to Abram, the father of the faithful, or do we look to who Abram would point us to? Because, see, I think in Genesis 13, like I think about all the Bible, that it's actually wanting to point us to Jesus. So three things about Jesus as we close our time today. The first is this, Jesus is a second and better Abram and that he is the ultimate peacemaker. He's the ultimate peacemaker. Abram made peace with his cousin Lot and he said, hey, you take the land that you want. But Jesus is a second and better Abram. Because he's the ultimate peacemaker. He didn't go to his nephew. He went to his enemies, to the enemies of God who are under the wrath of God. And he says, I'm going to bring peace through the blood of my cross. And he rose from the dead. He is the ultimate peacemaker. And through Jesus, the second and better Abram, we have peace with God through faith in him. By his grace. He's a second better Abram in that he is the ultimate peacemaker. He's a second better Abram in that he is our promised land. He is our promised land. It is Jesus who will guide his people faithfully. He will not lose one of his sheep as he takes us to ultimately the new heavens and the new earth. But his presence is our promised land. Where Jesus is, that's where we want to be. And he's who we want to walk with because he's the second and better Abram. And one more thing. One more thing about this Jesus. We looked at this word kabed as we all learned to speak Hebrew fluently this morning. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. He's the ultimate peacemaker. He's the promised land. And Jesus takes these heavy, heavy burdens and he turns them into heavy blessings. Only humans could take a blessing like God gave Abram and turn it into a burden and only God can take burdens and turn them into blessings. So there's that word, kabade. I want to tell you about a word that comes out of the root kabad called kabod. See, Matthew 11, here's what Jesus tells those who are weary to do. Come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden those of you who have heavy on you, those who have a burden, those who have a kabade, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus takes heavy burdens on himself and he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. Well, what does kabod mean? Kabod comes from kabade. Kabade means heavy and kabod means glory. See, Jesus took the greatest burden you could ever take. He took the sins of the world on himself. And when Jesus takes a burden like the sins of the world, he turns it into glory. The night before he died, He says, Father, I've glorified you while on earth, now glorify me. And what the glory of God looks like is one hanging on a tree with the heaviest burden of all so that we might find rest in him. And then he rose from the dead in perfect and beautiful kabode in glory. In glory. So now... Not only is our grief heavy, but that grief just turns into a heavy, heavy hope because of Jesus, the second and better Abram. Let's pray. God, we confess that you are the only wise God and that your Son made peace by his blood on the cross. And he didn't just make peace with us and you, he made peace with us and one another. He ended the strife. He broke down the dividing wall so that we could be one in Christ, one new man. We're being built up to this household of faith in Christ. And we're doing that because you're the only wise God and you're the only loving God and you're the only strong God who made a way. So we say to you, our Father, and to Christ Jesus, to you be honor and dominion and power for, and glory forever and ever. Amen.